Good morning. I'm Martin and I really want to give you a great big welcome this morning, especially to those people who might be listening to the service for the first time. You are particularly welcome. And those of you young enough to be enjoying the school holidays, I am thrilled that you are here as well. It's a real blessing to be able to share God's Word from the Bible with you this morning. And today we're going to look at our second sermon in the book of Philippians. And I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 1. You can find it in your Bibles or on your phone, or you could just choose to follow the words as they appear on the screen. Now Philippians is in the New Testament and is written by the great church leader, Paul, whilst he's in prison for telling people about Jesus. This morning, I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 1, and the second part of verse 18, through to verse 30. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your divine word, inspired by your divine authority that you've given to us freely so that we may know you and call you our Father. We pray now that you would send your Spirit into each of our homes and each of our hearts so that we can hear your voice and apply your biblical truth to our lives. Amen. I want to start this morning by asking you if you've had a particular anthem that defines a key part of your life. Being a teenager in the 90s, undoubtedly the greatest decade to have ever been a teenager, there were many songs that could have been used as an anthem. The battle between Oasis and Blur gave us Wonderwall and Parklife, 
Chesney Hawks had kick-started the decade with a classic one-hit wonder in 1991. That's it, the one and only. And I was besotted with Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. All of these classics. And if you want to check them out after the service, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. I wonder though, if you know what the official anthem for Europe is. That's right, it's an ode to joy by Beethoven. The one that goes I'm sure that's reminded you there. Now, written by Beethoven, he wrote as a tune to a poem that had words that speak about how joy is found in peace and an absence of war. The words speak of an ideal society in which men and women live together in harmony and then they can experience real joy. As an idea, it has real merit. Who doesn't want to live in a world of peace, understanding and kindness? It's a question we all ask. Our family members and neighbours do too. The Tesco lady, the Amazon delivery driver who chucks your parcel over the fence. Maybe that's just me. But where do we find true joy? Well, Paul gives us two answers in the passage we've just read. The problem I have with the anthem An Ode to Joy, it's not the tune, it's quite catchy or even the words, it's good to aspire to live in peace. And that's really important for us today. No, the issue with this song and all of the sentiments that speak of joy in this way is that no matter how hard people try, joy, real lasting, life-giving joy, can never be found through our own hard work or our ideas. I'm talking of a joy that's there when times are great and when times are not. A joy that lasts longer than any pleasure and a joy that the Bible tells us can only be found in Jesus. A joy that comes from giving our lives completely to him. In verses 20 and 21 of this passage, Paul shows us that Jesus is our one lasting source of joy. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you see the links here in these verses? In verse 20, Paul writes about life. What is life? What is our purpose and why are we here? Our society struggles with these fundamental questions and it often feels as if we're chasing the next relevant answer. But in verse 21, he answers the question. Life is to live for Christ. He also writes about death. How do we view death? Well, in verse 21, Paul also answers that question when he says death is gain. 
Joy is to know a life filled with Jesus. This means to know Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to believe that we will have Jesus forever in eternity. What Paul's trying to say is, Jesus is our joy, that in his death we gain this joy as a right. And our first point today is Jesus is our joy in life. There are many great things that bring joy in our lives. I love many parts of my life, my family, my friends, my work, and being outside in the countryside. I love them and I particularly find great joy from cycling. I love feeling the sun on my back, being surrounded by the birds and the wildlife, and adding to this the release of endorphins that I get from exercise, and I'm a really happy man. However, all of these things come to an end. The levels of joy we gain from any pleasure, they come and go like the tide. Time with the family can become hard work. For example, I'm recording this at church as a rare opportunity to have some time away from my adorable children. I remember um, enjoying a great day out cycling in the Peak District until the weather turned to sleet and hail when I was dressed for the middle of summer and we decided to end the ride going up Monsell Head which turned out to be miserable when you're tired, cold and wet. My point is, worldly pleasures, those things we enjoy doing, like spending time with friends or exercise, whatever your pleasure may be, they do not bring lasting joy. Many of us live from moving from one pleasure to the next, filling our lives with the nice things, and if we can sustain enough of them in a day, then we'll feel happy and joyful. But here in Philippians, we see a different kind of joy being talked about. Because Paul knows Jesus, he is able to write that he can rejoice even in the darkest of times. He's not expecting his circumstances to change. See, when he writes in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's not looking for a change in his circumstance. The deliverance he's talking about is the deliverance he has from his own desires and his own wants. To be free to know more of Jesus. He is encouraged by the community that irrespective of what happens to him in prison, he is confident that the parts of his life that he would like to change, as well as those that he's happy with, can be lived in a way that honours Christ. We see in other writings by Paul that he views his being in Christ, living fully for Christ, as the source of his confidence that he will not be ashamed when he sees Jesus face to face. You see, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life 
and have it abundantly. This is Paul's experience. Jesus has penetrated deep into every part of his life and the result is that Paul is living in the joy of having Christ. Like a lighthouse, Paul's life lets others see the joy of Jesus shining out. In his suffering, Jesus' joy shines out. In his work, Jesus' joy shines out. In his relationships, his dreams, his ambitions, his hopes, Jesus' joy is central and Jesus' joy shines out. You know, the same can be true for us today. A life centred on Jesus changes everything. With Jesus at the centre of it all, his joy not only fills you and fills me, but shines out in every facet of our life. To live for Christ is to live the best life. The life lived abundantly. A life full of joy that transcends all of the short-term happinesses we can know. Those things are great, but they never last. Jesus gives us a deep joy that penetrates even the most difficult days and brightens them by his presence in our lives. True joy is not the happiness that is found chasing earthly pleasures, whatever they may be. Work, family, relationships, fun, friendships, social justice, all good things in themselves. But they are nothing compared to the joy that can be yours through trusting in Jesus and giving him every part of your life. This is what it means to live, to live for Christ. I wonder what might that look like for you today? If living for Jesus is point one, our second point then is that true joy is found in gaining Christ in death. This taken from verse 20 and 21 can initially seem quite a shocking thing for Paul to say. He writes that he will have the courage to honour Christ by death and then clarifies what that means by declaring that to die is gain. Now Paul is not saying that due to his imprisonment he wishes that he could die and end it all. Paul is stating his sure confidence that if, if he is to die something that eventually will happen when he's executed in Rome, he will gain being with Jesus for eternity. It's interesting to note that this follows the statement that to live is Christ, because the same is true for us today. We are called to live a life for Christ, and in doing so, we are given a promise that we will one day look forward to being with Jesus eternally in heaven. 
I was blessed to have some lovely grandparents when I was growing up. My dad's parents were a couple who were strict but loving and loved Jesus. Every Saturday we would go and visit them as a family. My granddad used to keep chocolate biscuits in the fridge on a large silver plate and a real highlight was that for my sister and I we were allowed to have one um, when, we, when we got there. And they were probably the only chocolate biscuits I had in the week. Now my grand died when I was 12 years old and she would lived most of her life knowing Jesus as her saviour and her friend. And as she laid in hospital at the end of her life, her assurance in life that she would be with Jesus was realised in death. Her last words were that Jesus was coming before she went to meet him eternally. She died secure in the knowledge that she was going to be with Christ. And the same assurance is declared here by Paul. It follows that knowing Christ in life is a foretaste to knowing him in death. The promise of eternity is not wishful thinking. And just as it was for Paul, it is gain for us. The subject of death is often painful for us. And this passage is not telling us to downplay the hurt and pain that accompanies the end of life. But it gives us a reminder that in the same way Jesus gives us assurance of a joy to come with him in eternity. This is an amazing promise. We will live forever in joy with Jesus. This is the hope that Paul held on to, that my gran held on to, and that we too have assurance in. So we've seen Jesus is our joy when we live for him and our joy after death. The life both here and eternity that Jesus promises is so much better than any other life we can know. Reading these verses in this great book has prompted me to stop and think what my life could look like if I were to submit every part to Jesus and let him fill me completely with his joy. I'm recording this message on my wife's birthday and you are watching on our wedding anniversary. I know how to time things. <laughs> my wife and I have been married for 18 years now and overall these years have been really happy for me. And being married has changed the person that I am for the better. However, I am aware that I have not always submitted all of my marriage to Jesus. And this has robbed us both of a deeper joy that has been available to us. You see, marriage brings great things. But when the joy of Jesus is shared between us, it makes our marriage better. I am more patient, more loving, kinder, and when I submit to joy, Jesus, his joy flows out from me to my wife, and it overflows to our children and to our friends. 
Living a life with Jesus is better than any happiness we can ever know. Even if we had the best marriage there could be, our marriage is made better because Jesus is in it. So where is the truest joy then? How do we know that we can rejoice in all situations? Living for Jesus means that we don't have to live for others. We don't have to chase a better life. We can receive life in all its abundance when we give all we are to Jesus. If we are to live a life that's fully given to Jesus, this means that our wealth is for Jesus. We don't need to chase, chase praise from men, but we can pursue Christ in all things. We can exchange our security in the world for the satisfaction of knowing him. And when we swap our worldly pleasures for Jesus, we do so knowing that we are gaining the immeasurable joy that Jesus has in store for us. R. R. Ortland, a Christian pastor and author, he wrote, We dip our teaspoon into the vast ocean of the living God. We hold that teaspoon in our hand. We say, this is God. We pour it into our lives and we say, this is the Christian experience. But God calls us to dive into the ocean. God calls us not to drink from the teaspoon, but to dive into the ocean that is the living God. See, we can continue to tip, we can continue to sip the teaspoons of God, tasting a little of the joy that he has for us and adding it into the lives that we have, or we can cast aside the fleeting pleasures that we, we often chase, and we can dive into the ocean. A joyful life starts by telling Jesus where we are at this point this morning. Jesus promised that all who call upon his name will not be ignored. Everyone who knocks on the door and asks to come in and meet him will not be turned away. I believe that we all have areas in our lives where we do not fully know that Jesus is our joy. Why not make today the day where you begin the conversation with him? Maybe for the first time this morning, you can talk to Jesus and ask him to take the life you have now, all the good parts and all the parts that are not so good. And you can receive from Jesus his joy into your life when you receive him into your heart. I promise you, in doing so, you will know that Jesus is indeed your joy. There is no greater joy than living a life full of Jesus. 
If you do not know him, now is the time to find out more. You can click the live prayer button to talk to someone that comes up at the side of the screen at the end of um, this talk. And we'd be delighted to chat through any of the questions you have. You see, knowing Jesus is the single best thing that any of us can do. Your life will be changed beyond anything that you can imagine. And you can have a joy that only comes from him. Amen.